0: You're listening to the Peak Physique Podcast with Andre Adams on the NASM Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Peak Physique Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Adams, NASM Master Trainer and IFBB Physique Olympian. I am joined today by one of my very best friends in the sport. I call her the Bikini Goat, three time Miss Olympia, Miss Ashley Kaltwasser. Welcome to the show, Ashley.
1: Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see you again. Yes. Um, Really excited for this podcast.
0: Thanks for joining us. You know, you got to experience some of the development of the PBC course. You and I did some modeling. We did some you know, exercise demos and a lot of that fun stuff. So you got to see a bit of the behind the scenes and, and all that action. Um, so it's been a pleasure to have you as part of this team. And it's only fitting that we kind of cap off an amazing competition season and talk about how to bake those bikini glutes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw the title for today's episode, but it's baking those bikini glutes with gluty and the beast.
1: Yes, I love that. I love that. Very clever.
0: It is. And you know what? Shout out to Tony Ambler Wright for uh, the Gluty and the beast. You you recall last year we did the Legion Sports Festival, right? We did our live um, booty boot camp or glute workshop, uh, which was a blast. So uh, here we are back again. And I know we get these questions quite often. I'm sure you get them all the time, Ashley, on how to build that upper shelf for bikini glutes and really any division, right? Doesn't matter if you're really wellness or figure or anything. We all need good glutes on stage.
1: Absolutely, even people that don't compete, everyone could use a good set of glutes.
0: That's right for everything, right? From posture to for life, um, <laughs> just for life. I mean, just you know, it's comfy to sit on. So there you go. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> All right. Well, Ashley, let's introduce you to our NASM audience. For those of you that are new or just started following, you know, the sport of bodybuilding, Ashley, let's give them some quick career highlights. Um, you know, let's start obviously with the Olympias and Uh, I want to hear, you know, your Arnold Classic victories. You've got some here in the state, Columbus, Ohio. You've got some international. And then you have one very important distinction that I think the number is 43 this year. That's an important number. So give them a quick highlight of your accolades.
1: Yeah, so uh, I have won the Bikini Olympia three times. I won the Arnold Classic twice, and I have uh, won 43 pro bikini titles so far, so yeah, it's been a pretty good run, but you know, all of those are cool and everything, but <clears throat> I think the coolest is that one time that we got to do a glute seminar together. A year ago, that was that probably exceeds all the all the titles being a being a co <laughs> a co glute with you.
0: <laughs> yes, Gluty and the beast. And you know what? We put those glutes to work. We were just laughing about this earlier. Um just I think on peak week actually for your japan pro win right you had some back-to-back wins um we swept up the wellness division you swept up the bikini division in hawaii and then like two days later we're like hey it's ashley's birthday let's take you know becca and adam and kimber with us and go on uh an e-bike tour which was supposed to be a utv tour and it was a little muddy it was a little muddy so uh definitely been a blast though ashley um let's let's talk about If we think back to the beginning, the early days, I think I saw this was your 10th consecutive Olympia uh, or 10th Olympia, we'll say. What has changed and evolved in the sport from, you know, we can talk about the posing. We can talk about the criteria for judging. What things stand out to you from way back then when you started in bikini to where we're at today?
1: Goodness, everything has evolved since then. We're talking about conditioning, uh, muscle, posing, suits hair tan everything has just evolved and it's so crazy to look back 10 years ago the physique that was winning and now i look at what's winning these days and to be quite honest with you my winning physique 10 years ago probably wouldn't even get me a pro card these days so i think it's a big um it's a it's quite noticeable how much more competitive the whole bikini division has gotten and I think that's due to a lot of things, just the usual evolution of the sport in general which happens to every division, but also um the competition pool gets deeper and deeper every year. So whereas, you know, when I was competing in the Olympia, you might have a few girls, a handful of girls that were like from overseas and now from what I remember, it's about 50-50, like 50% American, and then the rest are from overseas. So as the IFBB has expanded, you know, we're getting into those countries that maybe didn't have shows before. So just by that alone creates more uh, competition, and there's more shows going on every single like weekend, it seems like, once the season gets started. More opportunities for girls to win pro cards, qualify for Olympia. Last year, I believe there was like 50 bikini competitors, whereas like in 2013, probably like 22. So yeah, it's been a wild ride and it's only getting tougher and tougher every year.
0: It is. And you know what? That's a testament also to your longevity, Ashley, is not only being, you know, I don't want to say participating in that, but being at the top of the sport and trying to stay ahead of that curve with all the additional competition. And I think that that consistency and constantly pushing yourself to come back each year and you know bring a, a better package, I think that's what helps sets you apart and and gives you that bikini goat title. Is you know you've got the Olympias, you've got the Arnold wins, but you've got the longevity and the consistency behind that, which is really difficult to do without burning out. So kudos to you. Um, you've you in fact we should probably share with them what's our motto. We've kind of got a one two punch. You know I say ain't done yet, and you say
1: i'm just getting started
0: just getting started so i love it that's the same you know infinite mindset and continuous improvement mindset uh speaking of evolution in bikini how has your training evolved when we think specific to glute training you know we can talk about exercise selection maybe some volume and frequency what are the most significant changes from 10 years ago to now for your glute training
1: honestly I would say not a whole lot has changed with the training other than I just got stronger and I can handle more things. I can handle more volume, more weight, more reps, but nothing has drastically changed from when I started training for bikini till now. Honestly, a lot of it is just muscle maturity. It takes a while to accumulate that muscle. So it's definitely not a quick journey, that's for sure. And I think that's important for girls to here as well. Like, you know, the physique I have is over 10 years in the making. Right. And that's before we're even talking about like my track career previously. So it's not something that you can just be like, yeah, I'm training for my first bikini show this year. And then expect like, okay, I'm going to train for my bikini show. I'm going to win my bikini show. I'm going to get my pro card. I'm going to go to Olympia. I'm going to win the Olympia. It usually doesn't happen in the span of a year. Um, because we all have flaws and, you know, like I mentioned, the competition gets tougher every year. So there isn't really room for those gaps at the top. So yeah, it just, I I would say just a a time, uh, Mm -hmm. effort put into the gym, but nothing drastically has changed with the training.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting for me to hear because I've been very similar with my training and it's easier definitely to maintain it once you've built that foundation, you've got the mature muscles, and you've got the you know right amount of density. And then you're just refining at that point, right? Maybe you get a little bit more advanced with your training split to isolate specific muscle groups and things like this. Uh, but definitely something that I want to dive in a little deeper as we work our way through this podcast. One thing I'll share with the audience too, for you guys that are maybe a little bit newer to glute training and glute anatomy and function, I like to break them apart, right? When we're talking about the glute minimus, uh, medius, and then maximus, and their different functions. But, you know, kind of high level, especially the glute max, it's going to be more responsible for concentrically accelerating hip extension, hip abduction, and then lateral or external rotation of the hip, and then eccentrically decelerating the opposite motions, right? So hip flexion, adduction, um, and things like this. So start with that when you're starting to program and write out your exercises whether it's for yourself or for your clients think about those core functions of what the glute is actually doing Um, so now that we've kind of got that out of the way let's talk about why else can glute training be important so it's not just for the physique athlete it could be you mentioned something a moment ago running track back in the day right when you're running track I'm pretty sure those glutes are important to generate that power and speed. Um, How did you train back then, by the way, Ashley? Did you do glute-specific movements, or was it more just like sprinting and things like that?
1: So I would say that going back to when I was training for track, it was much different training. Now, that's where you see a big uh, difference in the style of training. So I remember when I was training for track, sometimes they would have us do two days, In college, you have no choice. You got to do what they say. You're you're definitely not on your own time, that's for sure. Which is why training now feels so nice because I can pick and choose when I want to train, what I want to train in the morning, in the afternoon, frequency, all that. But anyway, I would say like one of the biggest differences is the amount of plyos we did um versus like time in the weight room. So I would say most of the time was spent on the track doing drills doing 400 meter repeats, things like that. Um, And I believe we would have like one or two sometimes um, days for gym. And it wasn't even like a full session, you know, it was like maybe 45 minutes as part of a bigger workout. But I remember the type of movements that we used to do, we would do weights, but with plyos, we would do a lot of jumpy motions. We would take the weight and kind of jump with it to, um, create that power. So even though it was plyos and weights, it was still really tough, you know? But I think like looking back, I love that I went through this track journey and it was, I can honestly say that, uh, training for track, in my opinion, more difficult than how I'm training now. I remember doing 400 meet, 400 meter repeats like every Tuesday or whatever until I threw up, you know? (laughs) So now I I would say that the biggest obstacle you know or I guess the hard part of what I'm doing now is more diet related rather than training because going back it just seemed like such a difficult thing because the feeling of like that lactic acid buildup and stuff it just made me yeah I just dreaded the repeat days for mm-hmm. me to repeat but it made me tough and it made me realize. Anything I do after that that's not as tough, I can do it. I can do that and so much more.
0: Absolutely. Built that foundation. And like you said, it's more fast twitch muscle, you're right, plyometric type of movements to generate power and performance versus time under tension and hypertrophy. Uh, If you guys are just joining us, this is the Peak Physique podcast. I'm your host, Andre Adams, and I've got the three-time Miss Olympia bikini champ herself, Ashley Coltwasser, in the house. Ashley, let's let's keep going. I'm I'm loving some of the stuff that we're touching on here for glute development, glute training, laying that foundation. Um, other things that glute training can help even you lifestyle clients out with can be postural alignment and symmetry, right? Reducing the risk of injury, especially things like low back or hip type injuries when you've got strong glutes. And then as we just touched on, performance and of course our favorite muscular development or aesthetic physique goals. Uh, Ashley, let's maybe tell them when we're working with other athletes, so I know you're getting into some coaching yourself as well. When we take on uh, an athlete or they come to you and they say, Ashley, I need to um, train for my first competition. I want to do bikini. And you get your eyes on them and you're starting to assess their deficiencies. How does your mind work through? What kind of assessments do you go through? And I'll I'll share what what I do on my end as well.
1: Sure. So first I have to take a look at how much experience do they have with lifting or athletics? Are we starting from scratch here or is this an advanced athlete that, you know, maybe wants to refine a little bit. See, I'm using your words here. So I would say like, what level are they at? Can they handle more than one day of glute training? Is this something they're used to or are we still in that newbie game phase? Because that will greatly determine how I structure their plan, right? Because the great thing about newbie gains is, it's kind of like a great opportunity to to grow and probably more growth you'll get in the newbie game phase than, than any, some would argue. So just kind of seeing their background and how they've been training previously, if at all, um, is very helpful so that I can determine what kind of workouts can this person handle? Because you don't want to overdo it with the workouts where they can't finish, they come, become discouraged um, you know, versus you don't want to make it too easy for them either because you want them to keep interested. You want to challenge them.
0: Yeah. And that's the, that's a fine line. I'm glad you mentioned that because we never truly know like an athlete's work capacity until you get to really train them, ideally in person. But if you're working online, you've got to spend a little bit of time learning their body, getting some feedback and then adjusting uh, their workout and training split from there. I think some of the other things I would do, you know, when we're just taking someone on to your point, kind of background for me, health history questionnaire, things like this. And then when I'm assessing them, I'll do a needs analysis from an aesthetic physique standpoint. Maybe I'll take a picture of Ashley and maybe I'll take a picture of this client and put them side by side and say, okay, we know that we've got, you know, a Miss Olympia champ for this division. And here's what the judges uh, are looking for. And we've got somebody who maybe has a good base, but maybe they're incomplete, right? Maybe they're missing some shoulders or some upper glutes, um, hamstring tie-ins, things like this. So I start with that needs analysis. And then you know me, I love my evidence-based stuff. So I'll even throw them on the in body. We're going to literally measure how much skeletal muscle they have in the upper, the lower, left to right, check their symmetry and balance and all these things. Um, Another thing that I think a lot of people skip over in the gym, if you're fortunate enough to actually work with your clients in the gym is the strength and symmetry assessments. So things that I'll see, um, I might start actually with the NASM overhead squat assessment. And Ashley, I can't remember, you and I might've done these one of these um, last year, but uh, I like to look at some of the different compensations, you know, forward lean, knee valgus, things like this to see if the glutes, and then which part of the glutes are under active. So that can give me some different strategies when I'm programming their glute training. Um, things that I also look for, I'll often have like sedentary clients that are just starting out and we'll put them on, let's say a reverse hyper and the low back is arching and their knees are bending and they're not really able to contract the glutes all the way. And in those scenarios, it's like, okay, aesthetically it looks like they have glutes, but they're underactive, or they don't have a strong mind muscle connection. And those are things that you and I would probably look for and maybe you add an external cue, like a band around the knees uh, to get more glute activation, right? So let's, and I think that's a perfect segue. Let's talk about when we're starting a workout, Ashley, whether it's your workout or one that you're training for a client, what are your favorite ways to wake up those glutes, right? How do you pre-activate them and what's worked well to build your Miss Olympia glutes?
1: Oh, I like to start off with something like doing monster walks, um, before I get into my entire workout, but yeah, it, uh, that's a funny story with monster walks. Cause I did not know what a monster, walk like, why is it a monster walk? And then Andre explained to me, like, cause of the thriller,
0: <laughs> Michael Jackson, the zombie walk. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, um, anyway, I, I put that band around my knees, uh, and just kind of walk it through, do my little monster walks, but I really do feel like that wakes up the muscle, helps me engage, and especially like that mind to muscle connection, it kind of gets me in the zone, so from a mental standpoint too, you know, we're we're often distracted by many things, maybe I just got done writing an email or doing whatever, and it's nice to kind of get into the zone so I can, like, okay, we're training now, this is the muscle I'm supposed to be working, so From a mental standpoint, it kind of gets me like mentally prepared for the the workout at hand so that I'm not like distracted or still thinking about the last Instagram post I saw.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It is hard to flip that switch sometimes. And here's the other thing Uh, a lot of people don't think about. What are we doing right now, right? We're sitting on our glutes. And what's the same principle that happens when we're foam rolling a muscle? We're applying pressure for a period of time and ultimately relaxing or putting it to sleep. So we've literally been foam rolling our glutes, right for the last hour or however long we've been sitting. And I think that activation helps stimulate the blood flow. To your point, it gets you primed up both mentally and physically to be able to attack that specific muscle group. Um, I like to start out with some warm up stretches. Sometimes it's static or dynamic, depending on the uh, you know the specific individual and their goals. Some of my favorite activations for glutes, I like to stick with things like the banded quadruped kickbacks. Uh, bird dogs, glute bridge, Ashley's favorite, those monster walks, those thriller zombie walks. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Um, there's actually some reverse lunge to high knees, too. So I don't know if you do these, Ashley, but I read this article that completely changed my mindset on this about a year ago. And, you know, normally we're doing those kind of um, just normal exercise type of activations, like a glute bridge versus like a really dynamic one or a plyo movement where you're doing, it's going to bring back some track memories for you, but when you're doing like um, let's say a plyo squat or reverse lunge to high knee where you're exploding and the study showed that the dynamic one actually gives you there's a term called pap p-a-p it's post activation potentiation and that value creates more glute activation for an extended period of time during your workout and that's something that i've been slowly integrating into a lot of our activations where we might do three different movements uh single leg glute bridge we might do that monster walk and then one set of reverse lunge to high knees. And then we go out f- for our resistance training. So we've seen some really good um, progress. And, and you know, I think people also can tell the difference, too. They tend to get a little bit better pump by the end of their workout. So highly encourage you to try that one out for yourself sometime. I think you'll like it. Um, Ashley, give me your top. It's been a while. We got to refresh this list. Give me your top five favorite glute development exercises and then we'll get like hyper specific into like you know upper outer glutes or lower glutes and tie-ins but what are your top five
1: i like this so one exercise that i really like i honestly don't know if there's like a name for it other than maybe a donkey kick but i like to do it a little bit more modified so i'll take the hamstring curl machine i'll go on to all fours and i will kick up um facing away from the machine so you can i know this is a podcast so if you can visualize what i'm trying to explain i love that so much because i i even on the way down like the negative feels so good like i know i'm getting a good workout it's one of those machines that like or one of those exercises i should say that it looks like you're not doing much but you don't need a lot of weight to really feel it if you're doing it correctly so that's my Mm -hmm. current babe i would say um, also, adu- ab- abduction with an AB. It's always difficult, the A-D-D-A-B, whatever. Abduction. <laughs> like, you're being abducted. That's how my coach always explained it. Like, you're yep. going away from being abducted. Um, abductions, I love that machine. It's, you know, there's none that's quite like it. I know there's different variations. Some have, like, a lean back to them. Some kind of have the, like, the Gluteator machine. If you have yep. one of them, that's definitely one of my favorites as well. But They can be quite similar. Um, Gosh, I like to do uh, RDLs, Mm -hmm. prefer machine. Um, And then I like single leg RDLs with uh, one dumbbell. Uh, And I use the back foot to kind of stabilize rather than let it um, go completely, I don't know how you say it like Like a V stance. Yeah, I do beat stance. I don't like to do the balance type because I feel like I'm not able to lift as much and I'm more focused on balancing. But I do the B stance. Yes, correct. And I like to do reverse hypers too. And I think that's about five. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the, no, and that's an excellent top five. I think you'll find that that top five. If you did that three times a week, you're going to get a nice butt. It's inevitable. Um, you know, if you remember, Ashley, probably like 10 years ago, do you remember that phase where? It was like, in order to get glutes, you got to squat and you got to squat heavy. And that was like the mindset of everyone felt like they had to squat, which I love squats, especially for functional performance. But when we're, you know, trying to meet this very specific set of criteria for something like bikini and we need to keep that waistline tiny, you know, maybe we don't want to develop any more leg mass, but we need to get, you know, specifically uh, rounder glutes or build that upper shelf. Then we need to start breaking apart our exercises. So I love that top five. Um, I love that you threw in some unilateral work, too, which is very important for symmetry. Obviously, one of our scoring criteria in any division of bodybuilding. Um, and I think, you know, we'll take those top five and let's break those down. When we look at weekly programming, what does your I'll say, does your current volume and frequency look like? You know, you're heading into an off season or improvement phase coming up here. Uh, but on an average week for you, how many times do you tend to hit lower body or glutes specifically?
1: So usually I'll do two lower body days. One, one is like legs in general, um, a lot of compound movement. And then the other is isolated glutes. So sometimes this will vary. Sometimes I'll do more depending on how close I am to a show, if I'm in season or off season. Um, And sometimes I'll do like one just like day and you know, that's more rare, but yeah, usually it's two days, one, lower body, and then the other one, just isolated glutes.
0: Got it. And we're going to keep going with that conversation in just a moment here. Guys, if you're just joining us, welcome to the Peak Physique Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Adams, with my good friend, Ashley Kultwasser, Miss Bikini Olympia, three times, and we are breaking down some of our favorite glute exercises and acute variables like our volumes, frequencies, timing. Ashley, I'm going to talk about training intensity, too, and something we call the SRA curve and how it can impact it right on those. So think about those harder days. You might be doing some compound movements. I know one of your favorites because you and I have trained together at Contest Prep Center. Um, I know you like doing the reverse hack. We'll call it a good morning to squat. Right. It's kind of a, it's a great one to punch. Um, definitely will get the heart rate up, too. So if you're looking for some metabolic conditioning and really getting deeper into those um, hams and glutes. That's a great one to punch. You know, when we're when we're doing something like a heavy compound leg day and we're breaking down a lot of muscle tissue, you know you're gonna be sore the next day. On those ones, we've got this curve, right? And it's it's the stimulus recovery adaptation curve. And depending on how hard we went on that particular day, maybe we only need 24 hours before we can recover and hit that same muscle. Or if you feel like, you know what, I need that full second day before I'm at least 90% recovered. Right. And, and how that curve works is basically we break down the muscle tissue. And depending on how much recovery time we need, once that muscle heals up, we get what's called a super compensation where it heals and you build back more muscle than the original level. Right. And our trend, obviously, as we're going through a contest prep, is every time we break the muscle down and then we recover, we recover stronger, break it down again, recover stronger. So for you guys that are programming, you know, you have to. Kind of understand your work capacity and recovery level but if you tend to recover within one day you can probably hit glutes let's say it's monday you can probably hit lower body or glutes again by uh by wednesday right um the more advanced you get if you're at ashley's level or you know even myself right and you're accustomed to training five six days a week years on end your recovery is probably going to be a little bit better Uh, but something to monitor as you guys are programming the other thing and i'll i'll ask you if this is something you incorporate too, Ashley, um, I like to mix in what we call undulating periodization. It's a big fancy way of saying we're training with different um, variables on different days. So let's say week one, I'm going to be training in what we call strength endurance. So I might be doing a little bit um, lighter weights for my stationary movements or my um, very supported movements. And then I might mix in some stabilization moves. So let's say we stack a um, leg press, right. For exercise one. And I'm going to superset that with that B stance RDL for exercise two, something that's unstable for exercise two. And I might program a whole week like that. Next week, it might be just hypertrophy training, which is what you're going to be more accustomed to, right. Where you're working in that kind of eight to 12, maybe 15 reps, um, you know, anywhere from four to six sets per exercise and things like that. Do you, is it necessary for you to break apart your training in that fashion or do you kind of stick to your guns and, you know, stick with your normal reps and sets?
1: Well, I, to be honest, I kind of just t- stick with my typical. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not like against trying that I actually probably should. And sometimes that's, we need that little reminder to switch it up because we get so in our ways that we're just like, this is how I do it. This is my habit. I go into this and I do this, 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 So it's not something I'm against. I should do it. But lately, I've just been sticking to the regular stuff.
0: Yeah, and it's tough, too, especially because you do so many shows. But this might be a good tool for you to implement sometime when you're doing that string of, like, back-to-back-to-back shows. I'm the same way. If I could just honestly, like, just come in and get a pump and do, like, hypertrophy, I would probably do that 365 days (laughs) out of the year. It's just we, we like to do that. Uh, but sometime, especially now that I'm getting a little bit older, I've noticed that uh, my body feels and performs better, especially after a longer prep. Like, let's say I've got a 20-week prep, right? Uh, been out of action for a while. And for those, building up some of those, like, stabilizers and the soft tissue, and it actually increases my ability to activate certain muscles when I do those stabilization. I think that might that might be something that... You know, as you get older and um, your training evolves, that might be something to to try out one day. Hmm. Um, other things I'd love to ask you on your specific, and I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but on your training, I see a lot of athletes that, again, thinking back to, you know, historically doing just squats or lunges and things like that versus doing more glute isolation workouts.
1: Hmm.
0: Do you recommend athletes in you know, incorporate more glute iso days, um, and start breaking apart or, you know, should they just keep hitting their two like full leg days?
1: Um, I, I would encourage that isolation, uh, exercises, but it also depends on the athlete. What are they lacking? You know, maybe they don't need to do quite as many isolations, but more times than not, it's more beneficial to do the glute isolations if that's the the muscle you're targeting in fact it's great for a lot of girls going back to what you were saying about squatting you know that used to be a thing like oh you got to squat to get uh big glutes but you know we're all our anatomy all different and some girls they will squat from sun up to sunrise and they'll say i only feel it in my quads you know mm-hmm so we're all kind of different in that sense and i don't think there's any specific exercise uh universally that will work for everyone uh but I, yeah i i think isolations are great i i definitely think for myself they help a a great deal
0: absolutely and you know what as we're talking through it i'm going to throw a few else, a few other exercises out there that i'm pretty sure you're a fan of too thinking about like what Frequently asked questions do we normally get? And I think mine is usually, how do I build the upper outer glutes? I tend to get that one more than anything else. And some of my favorites that have worked well for our athletes and even myself. Yes, I'm cheeked up too for you guys that are watching. Uh, But some exercises that have worked well have been things like quadruped kickbacks, right? If you've got a machine for that. Um, Even prone, so face down on the Smith machine where you're laying face down on the bench. Obviously, it's going to be a little easier to set up with a you know with a partner, um, but those definitely this quadruped and prone kickbacks can um, really help build that upper shelf reverse hypers which you mentioned. And some of the cues that I'll give our athletes are to turn their toes out and soften the knees a little bit when they're trying to really target those upper or outer glutes. And then as far as like the seated abductions, Ashley, there's so many different variations that we can do there too. And I don't think people fully understand the difference. So if we're sitting on, uh, let's take an, you know, like an eagle seated abduction. If we're hinged forward a bit, let's say 45 degrees, we're going to get, you know, that lower outer glute versus if we're reclined back with the feet in a longer position, the, the glute anatomy and the way that the glutes function changes a bit. And you start to shift that stress into the upper glute, the upper outer glute. So to your point, depending on where their deficiencies are at, what areas they're trying to target, you know, work with your trainers and try to isolate those specific areas that you need for your body. Um, Crossover or concentration curtsies, too. Those are ones that I think you're a fan of, Ashley. Are Are you still doing those?
1: Yes, I love those so much.
0: Yeah. Now, I think that's an important one, too, because I know the way that you and I normally would do them is when we say concentration... We're talking about isolating one leg at a time, right? We're going to work, let's say, 12, 15 reps on that one side loaded before you switch to the other instead of doing the alternating. Um, and I, let, let's let's maybe share with them why we approach it that way versus doing alternating curtsies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. More time and attention. You know, every time you alternate and you have to step over, that's like your muscle getting a little bit of a rest break. And, you know, that's not something I want, I, you know. <laughs> That when I do them concentrated, I'm able to get a better pump and better results in general.
0: Absolutely. So, guys, what we're saying there in effect is really don't overcomplicate it. Stick to the basics, fundamental movements. When you find those three to five exercises that work really well for you, you don't constantly have to change that. You can keep those core fundamental movements in your routine. You can do things like progressive overloading. We just talked about undulating undulating periodization. And things like that that will help keep you in those exercises for longer without plateauing um, a few other things we're going to leave them with today ashley is one thing that i've always appreciated anytime we chat or we get to do interviews is the mindset and i want to talk about two things one is we're going to share a few in, intrinsic cues on the posing so when we think about bikini especially you know our front and back pose um what internal cues or things run through your mental checklist, you know, toe position, uh, are the knees soft or straight hips? How far am I bending over? Um, So let's give them a quick rundown on that. And then I want to get into a little bit of motivation before we wrap up.
1: Sure. So if we're talking about the back pose, I think, you know, we're all kind of visualizing something different in our heads when we're on stage. So I don't want to say my way of thinking is the only way to think. But I like to kind of envision the feeling of my back pose as the top of an RDL, kind of. So what does that mean? I'm putting all the weight in my heels. My knees are slightly bent, but not like not to any degree that you would notice as much. Um and I'm basically almost visualizing bouncing on my heels. That's where all the weight and tension is, right? I could, I should be able to wiggle my toes hypothetically in my shoe when I'm in the back pose. Um, and I like to make sure to keep my chest high cause I think that's one issue that girls don't think about is to keep their chest, um, kind of sunken in or maybe their chin down. Keep it always high, chest high, chin high, even if you're in your back pose. And, um, as far as like my hand placement and my, my, my stance, um, I would say that I like to keep my heels in line with my shoulders. I like to point my toes out at one o'clock and 11 o'clock. If that's how we're thinking of a clock, like one and and 11, some girls do 12 and 12, which is fine too. And then some girls even do like two o'clock and 10 o'clock, which can look a little bit ducky sometimes. (laughs) but depends Mm -hmm. on the person. So I do one in 11. And as far as like my hand placement, just making sure that I'm using my palms to kind of lightly push out my chest further to create a little bit of rear delt going on in the back and making sure that my arms aren't too high or too low. I keep them a little bit under my um, hip flexor and just making sure they're out of the way, not on the side of my thighs and not on the inside.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great place for pretty much anyone to start. And then, like you said, then you, you start to customize or refine it a bit based on their specific proportions, right? If they've got too much outer quad sweep, too much VLS going on, then they can maybe internally rotate just slightly right where they're not towed out quite so much um, and things like that. Do you, do you, and this is an important one. Do you flex the glutes at all? And I know you like to keep them active, like at the top of an RDL. But a lot of girls will ask if we flex the glutes, and then the second one is: Are you? Is there any external rotation? I call it a corkscrew, where you're twisting outward with you know the upper thigh. Um, in some divisions, there is, but I think those are important questions to answer for our audience in the bikini back pose.
1: Absolutely. So as far as the rotation is concerned, going back to like anatomy and how everyone's a little bit different, I personally like to try to put my knees a little bit inward and here's why. Um, Whenever I'm in my back pose, if my toes are facing a certain way, you know, that 1 and 11, sometimes it can almost look like you're a little bit bow-legged if your knees are in line with those toes. Um, So I kind of cheated a little bit and just make sure my knees are kind of a little more forward-facing and not necessarily in line with my toes if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and what was
0: this um and then the second one is are you flexing the glutes you and i get that question all the time
1: no definitely not
0: (laughs) yeah you don't want those like squared off figure glutes in the bikini back pose yeah and 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 then also if you hinged forward right if you're bent forward too far it can actually flatten out the glutes especially upper glutes it can mask you. know they're trying to show more tie-in, but it can actually stretch that area and just make it look not quite right.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You, you lose the 3D effect if you hinge over too much because you got to realize the judges are judging you usually from a downward angle. So the farther you hinge, the flatter your butt appears. Yeah, you'll have great hamstrings. You'll get more tightness going on in the hamstrings, less glute fold. But at the expense of flattening out the glutes, which you worked so hard for, so you don't want to do that.
0: Exactly. Awesome cues. I hope you guys are taking notes. And Ash, I know we're getting out like pretty close to running out of time, but I want to make sure we touch on what things keep you motivated all these years later. I know it was probably the mountain bike ride that kept you motivated, but (laughs) so what things keep you motivated? And then also, what's one big scary goal for Ashley moving forward?
1: Okay. So going back to the mountain biking, that kind of ties into what I'm about to say. Was that mountain biking trip like ideal? No, because it was muddy. It was a little, maybe not as pleasant, but I'm glad I did it because it made me tougher. It made me mentally tougher. Even if it didn't make me physically tougher, it made me mentally tougher, just like the track days. But, um, You know, I think what keeps me going is honestly gratitude. I think that's something that a lot of people who find success lose. I say their gratitude sometimes turns to greed and they start expecting things and when they don't get what they want, they get irritated, agitated, disinterested. You know, I'm in this for the long run and sometimes things aren't going to go my way. Sometimes they do, but I got to take a look back at the big picture. Like, wow, first off, I'm, ha- I'm healthy enough to be able to compete. Do you know how many people wish they could even just step on the stage? Like, that has the health to do that. That in itself is an accomplishment. And I think a lot of times competitors diminish that. Like, regardless if you get first place or last place, you're healthy enough and able to step on stage
0: physically. Visit-
1: You know, some people will never be able to afford that kind of lifestyle. That's another thing. And I realize I'm in a a very unique, I have a very unique opportunity to compete and have fun with it. My body's holding up nicely. I'm able to travel the world and go wherever I want to compete. It's like a great thing. And I think sometimes, like I said, people who find success, just then get greedy. And I promised myself, I would never do that. I'll never forget my first sponsorship. And it was only free tans. That was it. I had an offer for just free tans. And Mm -hmm. the way I reacted when I found out I would be getting free spray tans, you would have thought that I was getting like a big paycheck every, every month or something, you know? And that wasn't the case, but the feeling of like, Oh my God, they chose me to represent their tanning company. And Mm -hmm. I'm a girl from Akron, Ohio. I never thought I'd be able to make it this far, but I just keep surprising myself and I just keep, you know, keep the gratitude. So even when things don't go my way, I try to look at it from a zoomed out perspective. Like, you know what? Maybe the show didn't go the way I would have wanted it to. However, look at everything that I've accomplished so far. Everything now is just icing on the cake and going Mm -hmm. back. Hey, I'm, I'm healthy enough to do that. And that's, that's something that a lot of people could never say. So. I
0: love it. I love it. And gratitude is one of the most important things that you can do. And I think, like you said, a lot of people are maybe in it for the wrong reasons. Maybe it's an external validation. Maybe it's coming from an, you know, an insecurity that they need to fill, but when you have that gratitude and you have that infinite mindset, you're going to do su- successful things, right? You, it's pretty much inevitable that you're going to improve not only your physique, but your ultimately your lifestyle. And Ashley, let's leave them with your big scary goal. What is your big scary goal for 2024? I want to hear it.
1: Oh, my big scary goal is <clears throat> I would like to make it to 50 wins before the end of 2024. So right now I'm at 43 that means I I have I have some work to do next year. You know, I got some work to do. That means mm-hmm. I'm about to be very active on the circuit and plan my shows accordingly, a lot of travel. But I think it's possible. I think I can do it. And I love that. Like I love having a goal that I can work towards. It's a challenging goal. Yep. I'm not saying I'm for sure going to achieve this goal but you better believe I'm going to try my best
0: I have no doubt I have full (laughs) full confidence that you will achieve it Ashley and whatever we can do to support that you already know we, we got you covered so I'm proud of you it's been a pleasure to watch your journey from when I first got into the sport you were the champ back then and you know come back all these years later and we're still here doing some cool things and we're still writing the story so we ain't done yet Guys, um, you can find Ashley on Instagram at Ashley K Ashley, what's the best way for them to contact you for anything else? Do you have a website? Do you have any other areas that you um, would like them to follow you?
1: Yeah, I mean, just Instagram DM is probably the best just because it's an easy uh, thing to find. Because I do have a YouTube as well, um, Ashley Kaltwasser on YouTube. But uh, yeah, Instagram is great.
0: Perfect. All right, guys. Well, we are going to sign off. If you've got value out of this episode, I ask you to please share it with a friend and let them know you've got that person that's looking for a transformation or thinking about contest prep, specifically thinking about building those bikini glutes. Be sure to share this episode and subscribe. Guys, we will see you next time on the Peak Physique Podcast. Signing off.